unauthorized break-in. And the truth be told, way back in Genesis, we, we have had an unauthorized break-in. And this was something that we allowed to happen within um, humanity. There is a term in theology that is called corporate solidarity. Can you imagine that fruit that was um, taken and eaten, and I believe it was a mango, <laughs> uh, off the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I believe it had to be a mango. It could not be an apple. I mean, an apple could not be so tempting. It had to be a juicy mango, right? And I think it had to be a Julie mango, right? Yes. Huh? Yes? All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I want to go home now. I want to go back to Jamaica. <laughs> but that temptation, you know, was, was such... Amazing, I mean, jarring temptation. God told Adam and Eve of all the tree of the garden that you should eat from. Do not eat from this one in the middle. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. My Hebrew professor, he concluded and he said, you know, God wanted man to eat from this tree. God wanted man to eat from this tree. That's why he put it there. And it was entitled Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil. If you eat from it, you will have immediate understanding of what is good and evil. And that was, there was some truth in that. But the main thing was that man dis obeyed God and God calls us into full obedience that is the thing it was all about what God said disobedience and so this basically is what we're going to be launching off with the unauthorized breaking and we're going to see let us pray as we open the word of God father we ask that you bless your word bless your people once again Lord and lead us now as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want you to look with me. And uh, this was, I'm putting this, adding this scripture. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see it on the screen. And understand fundamentally what is actually being said in this text. We want to see very clearly, if you want to understand the um, origin or understand a thing, it's important for us to forensically look back into the origin of it. If we could understand in the origin how it began, then we could have a full understanding of the thing. Very important for us to note this. Genesis is the book of the beginnings. 
It has the first everything. First sin, creation, marriage, music. In every industry you could ever imagine, the root of it is in Genesis. And we look back in the book of Genesis, and specifically Genesis chapter 3, and we see something here in this text. And I'm just going to pick out some of these and just to launch us into the theme here and for us to get the context of what is we're studying tonight. It says, now the serpent was more subtle, more cunning than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Notice the question. Hath God said this? He is questioning, right? Hath God said this? It's, it's almost a, a backwards way of approaching the subject. Satan sometimes come at us and he doesn't tempt us blatantly. He tempt us in an unrelated issue, just petty, but he works all the way in. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, right? This, and that's established, verse, uh, verse 3. And we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, he shall not eat of it, neither shall he touch it, lest he die. One of the principles I'd like to leave with you tonight is that we should never in any way converse with the devil. We should never in any way converse with the devil. Just a few weeks ago, I got a call and of this young girl back in um, one of the islands that just went mad. And the elders surrounded her and they're praying and so forth and she's um, just screaming out in all kind of different ways. She was possessed, right? And they uh, came to her and they started speaking to these demons, speaking to this thing. And as they were talking, you know, they're talking to this thing um, and this conversing, who are you, where are you from, all of these things, you know, and some of the individuals who are claimed to be spiritual healers, that's what they do. And I realized something from uh, early that we should never have a focus or even converse with any of these things. Our focus always must be up on God. We must always focus on the truth. We must always focus on what is authentic, right? If uh, you go to any bank and speak to any teller, bank manager, and so forth, the way they train 
individuals within banking industry to know a counterfeit, do they take a whole bunch of counterfeit bills and say, okay, feel these bills? Is that the way they do it? They take the real bill, right? They even have the blind tests. They have these little things, these, you know, infrared, you know, that are, they have this, this, this ink that they put on. They are able to know, indeed, if what the, the real bill. And so they study on the truth. What is truth? That when they feel something that's not true, right, they said, no, no, this, this is not the real deal. In the same way, God is asking us for us to focus on him. The Bible tells us that if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. And I want you to understand this principle. Focus on what is true. Do not spend your time, you know, studying uh, falsehood. Study the truth. And the truth, when the falsehood comes, you will know it because you know the truth on that basis. So that's number one principle uh, that we are going to learn tonight. Um, verse 4, it goes on, and verse 4 tells us, And the serpent said unto the woman, He shall not surely die. In a sense, God is lying. God is not telling the truth. He shall not surely die. Verse 5 um, and he goes on and he says, For God does uh, know that in the day that he eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When Eve was created and Adam was created, did they know evil? Did they know good? Did they? Pardon me? Thank you very much, sister. <laughs> there was no such thing as good or bad, right? They didn't know. I mean, understand, in order for you to know what is good, right? In order for you to know what is good, you have to know conversely bad, right? But check this out. They were directly, Eve was good, but she didn't know it. She didn't experience, she never experienced evil before. And so when you look at even the term, the word God, the name God, good is a derivative of God, if you check that out, right? And so what at that time, evil was not, good and evil was not defined until Man rebelled against God. It is against God. Remember, all of this is against God. It is when Eve turned her back on God, then good and evil was defined immediately. And then you see the rest of the story, the hiding, the running, all of these things, the feeling of shame, the exposure, nakedness, it's all in the chapter. And then eventually what happened is that they were barred from the garden. In the, in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 3, you see this. Everything, you just see everything just started collapsing. And to the point that the entire world was cursed 
as a result of the action of Adam and Eve. Corporate solidarity. What happened with this family affected everyone. What, if, what happened in this home affected the entire race and their entire generation right throughout. Corporate solidarity. And so when we see here in this book, literally what happened, uh, Eve took the fruit, she thought that it was very good as the other chapters said, verses say, and then she gave it to Adam, he ate, their eyes were both opened, right? They had knowledge now of good and evil, you know, but they were still in rebellion to God. They were, Eve was actually trying to be God. Let me ask you, the sin of Adam, was it the same as the sin of Eve? Hmm? Sin is sin, right? True. Sin is sin. But when you think of it, the catalyst, the thing that caused Eve to sin is that she wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. She wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam, he had a decision to make. Either he was going to choose the woman or choose God. And Adam did what any man in Hollywood would do. He chose the beautiful woman. He chose the beautiful woman. And as a result of choosing the beautiful woman, he lost everything. Do you see what I'm saying? What we have to look at here is that Adam and Eve literally lost their mind. They lost their mind. They became corrupted in their mind to the point that man flew out that from that time till now has been trying to regain this. And this is where, you know, you have many, many different scriptures that came in and that, that proves this and shows that man was trying to um, get back to that status and so forth. But hey, man, and I'm talking generically, lost everything. Now, as we lay this foundation, we see that Satan was there in the garden. And this was not authorized. This was literally an unauthorized break-in. You know, it was unauthorized break-in. He came into the garden and so forth, but they allowed him to have access. And some of us right now, we allow Satan complete access in our lives. As a result of this, it laid way to all kind of false theologies in, um, that's introduced into the system. This whole idea of this, of the false God system originated in this very text. They wanted to be like gods. Now, if you notice in the polytheistic belief, the Baal worship, uh, asterisks, and, and all of these um, um, Mesopotamian worship and uh, the worship system uh, along, along the earth, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and so forth, all of these systems stems from this. Man has been trying to be God. 
We see this in the rap culture. They try to be God or goddesses. The whole idea of the diva principle, right? We have all these women from Celine Dion way back in Quebec, right? She's considered a goddess. Whitney Houston, goddess, right? The recent emergence of Rihanna and, and, and um, Beyonce, all goddesses. These rappers, these guys, they have a godlike mentality. They think they're king with all the harem of women around them. Godlike mentality. And this is the kind of culture that we're living in. But this is not just in the rap industry, it's in the business too. It's in the business industry. The same thing. Even in the medical field, you have these super doctors <laughs> that spans the world. I'm not talking about any in here, though, right? You know, in every industry, teachers, professors, master professors. I remember when I was going to Concordia University pursuing my business degree, something, there was this guy that was traveling all across Europe. And he was training a number of the university students to think. He was preaching um, philosophy, but in a very unique way. He was using a, um, what they call transcendental meditation. And he used these principles to train us how to think straight. Now, I heard about the class, and I said, I'm not taking that class. You know, it sounds weird. And so this guy, he, you, I remember my cousin uh, went into the, the class and she was telling us what was happening in the class. And he says, one of the first principles, one of the first principles in order for you to be in touch with your inner man is to help, the, is, to, is to touch the inner man that would help you to levitate. And so many of the students, they learn the principles that help them to levitate. Now, if you are able to levitate and float off the ground, you know you have some serious power, right? And they, they were saying, you're everyone is able to do that if you touch that inner man, if you, if you touch that chakra, you know, where you're able to see things in that spiritual manner, you're able to, you know, defy gravity. And so this is one of the first things that they had to learn to do. And this was in Concordia University, 1989. And I heard about that and I said, I, that sounds really weird. That doesn't sound of God. Uh, you remember, back in those days, they had these men walking around and they would hold up spoons and look at the spoons and bend the spoons. Have you ever seen those, right? right? They were saying the power is in the mind. You could bend objects, move objects, and all of these things. And we even learn in psychology that we are using about 8 to 10% of our mind. You heard that, right? All of us heard that. And so they'd say that we need to be in touch with that inner man so that we will be able to do greater things, right? In a sense, we are like gods, and we can do great things. 
But I want you to understand, this was, I believe, the beginning of greater things to come. And even that professor, actually, the last lesson that he was teaching them how to flip, you know, levitate and then flip and get back on the spot and head back down to the ground. You know, and I'm like, okay. Later on, after studying a little more, I realized that was straight spiritualism. And that was what we were learning in business school, right? And you look at all of these things and they are just suddenly, they're just, they're introduced into society. But the very same thing here, man trying to be God. Man trying to imitate God. It cannot work. And so when we see this, this started way back in Genesis and it has increased over the years to the point now that we are forewarned, forewarned of this time to come. It's important for us to understand our the doctrines and our theology. Now I'm going to ask you all, we're going to have an interactive session here, right? When someone dies, when somebody dies, where does that person go? They go to sleep? <laughs> they sleep in the ground? Uh, any other? Pardon me? Go back to death. Okay. Okay. They go back to death. Have you ever heard that when someone dies, they, the process of someone dying, they go through, they travel through a tunnel, and, uh, you know, they're seeing all of these things, and, but this tunnel is representing the, that afterlife? You ever heard that, right? Have you ever heard of individuals that had these near-death experiences and they went over there and they described the scene and everything and they came back, right? And they, wow, you know, heaven was so beautiful and so forth. And you, I, I remember I was watching, I, I think it was on TBN, one Trinity broadcast, and they had this testimony of this person that died you know, and that person died for an, a couple, maybe an hour or something like that. And the person apparently had a low pulse. I don't understand that doctors, you could tell me that. But that person had a low pulse, but they thought the person was dead, right? And that person was in, they believed they were in the other land, in heaven, right? walking around, they pass through the tunnel and all of these things, and all of a sudden, you know, they felt themselves going back and they were fighting and so forth and they came right back. And next thing, they opened their eyes, realized that they were in the hospital. And that is a proof that they use to show that they are, they, uh, there is something on the other side, which is very dangerous. It's important for us as a people to understand what we believe. The Bible tells us that God forms man. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, he forms man out of the dust of the ground. Right? He breathes into man and man becomes a living soul. Right? And so man does not, the body, they cannot coexist without that breath in it or vice versa. 
You know, the living soul cannot uh, live without the breath in the body. You know, and so we can't be any uh, a lingering spirit going around, right? There's a friend of mine, maybe she's listening online in Montreal. Her father-in-law just died, and they're Catholics. And they have a controversy right now in the family where they believe that the spirit is wandering around for at least seven days and they have to say certain rosaries, prayers to Mary and, and all of these things to purify the person, to make sure that they are not trapped in purgatory, but that they go to heaven. All of these theologies that we are seeing, false theologies, I have to say, came in between that period between Malachi and Matthew is what some people call the gap theory. Many of these came in under the Maccabean era and they introduced these false theories into scripture where people right now, they believe that somehow their loved ones are lingering around and it has led to many false teachings introduced in the world. The very same Halloween that we celebrate, we, I don't, but maybe some of you do, uh, where people go out trick-or-treating and all of these things, comes into the very same system. It gives, it empowers that because the departed spirits of the loved ones, they believe that the spirit world gets closer to this world at that time. And so that night, Halloween night, the spirits go around. But the next day, November 1st, is All Saints Day. It's a Catholic day, holiday, in that sense, where they celebrate the saints and they worship the saints. False theology. And I'm saying all of this to say, it all comes from this very same thing. People, their inability to allow the scripture to speak for itself. Whenever someone dies, that person is resting in the ground. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse uh, 13 to 16 tells us that Christ will come back again and he will resurrect these individuals. The dead in Christ shall be raised, right? First, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air and so shall we be with the Lord. The scripture is very clear on this. And so when we think of the, our theology on death, this is what the scripture says. But all of these things are being introduced in the system when we do not have a right footing on the truth of God. Now, I want to hit to some of my main points now. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it tells us of the times that we're living in. 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. 1 John 2, verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last time. I think we have found it. Little children, it is the last time. And just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists 
have risen up, from which we know that it is the last hour. Now, if you evaluate when this was written, this was written around 90 AD, around that time. It was one of the last books that was written in the Bible, right? And if you understand um, this, the, the context of what is being said here, in within what John was saying that this is the end time, this is the last time in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse um, 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Did I give you the wrong text? All right. Right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It tells us very clearly that it is the end time. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist. The Antichrist is anything that opposes Christ. Anything that, that makes him or herself like Christ. Just like a few, days, few years ago in Miami, there was this... Um, Spanish brother that basically said he was God. And everyone, a lot of people were flocking to his church and thousands were in his church. And he is saying that he is God. And he was making these major proclamation that, you know, sin is not the way everyone is saying it. Everyone could do all they want to do, just have fun and be nice to people and that's all right but bring your money to the church, <laughs> you know. That was, that was the, the zinger. And he was growing in popularity. I don't know what happened to God right now. Maybe he died, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, it comes right back to this point where there are many individuals coming on the scene and they're trying to be God. They're trying to have this world dominion uh, Hitler was the fair, very same thing, right? He wanted to have this worldwide dominion. Mussolini, the same thing. These, these guys that wanted to just take over the world, Saddam Hussein. Somehow these guys, they, they catch a little power and they see the thousands of people and they realize, hey, I'm, I'm someone special. Remember this man that captured the Lord used to exile his people, brought them into Babylon. He was a very wise warrior, builder, very well-educated man, and at the height of his, his ministry, his rulership, he looked over Babylon, and he says, is not this Babylon that I have created. You know, in, 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 in Jamaican term, we say, a me do this, a me, a me build up all of this, me, you know. And you have these people, you know, this, uh, as, as one pastor friend of mine would say, that this person is suffering from iitis, right? Iitis. 
And so he basically had this kind of a godlike mentality. He looked at the hanging gardens of Babylon and so forth. He saw all of the wonderful things that he has done, the symmetry of the city, the structures, everything, um, the educational institutions. And he said, this is me. I have done this. And that very hour, in that very hour when he made this proclamation, it, as a curse came upon this man. And with his crown and his gown and everything, he was reduced to an animal. And he ran through the streets of Babylon chasing the other wild beasts. They looked and everybody is not that the king? Right? Can you imagine? The very king was reduced and he ran in the streets of Babylon for one year. No. Seven years. Can you imagine? Seven years. Wandering in the streets of Babylon for seven years like a dog. I mean, sometimes I don't know, but God has a sense of humor. You know, God said, okay, let me just pull out that little part of his brain, right? That rational side. Animal. But the mercy of God, somehow, when that seventh year was expired, somehow this man, I don't know what he was doing. He probably was chasing another animal. And then he came to his... You know, what am I doing? You know? And, and then this animal, this man now, he stands upright with his torn garments and all of that. I'm pretty sure that his crown had fallen off long you know, ago, right? But he walks back to the palace. And just imagine with me. He regains consciousness and he is walking back to the palace, right? He is still king. He is walking back to the palace and everyone is looking at him and they saw this king running around Babylon for those seven years and the king is going back. God has a way of humbling us. He has a way, I could you imagine? I mean, that's serious. But God, I mean, he goes back to the throne. Can you imagine he's going in and his servants, doorkeepers, like, you know, they don't know if he's in his right mind or not, <laughs> right? And they're, okay, well, um, king, <laughs> you know. And he goes and he's watching and, and he goes into the palace and he goes and takes a bath, cleans up. As my grandmother would say, he is so shamed that he lap his tail between his legs. Shame, right? Can you imagine that this king, how humble he was? Give glory to God. I mean, praise God. But that shows us something. It shows a merciful God. Because this king 
could have suffered like Ananias and Sapphira. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, went in, the, the Holy Spirit had just you know, spread around the camp and everyone was in a given mood and everything. And Ananias, they sold their land and all of that. You know, Ananias came up and said, well, I sold the land for so-and-so, but he had some under his robe, right? This and that. And he tried to lie against the Holy Spirit and immediately his breath was taken, gone. His wife came after, and the apostles, they quiz her and says, you know, did you sell your land for so-and-so and so? Yes, 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 you know. And he said, don't you hear the feet of the young men that took away your husband? They're coming for you. And she fell down, taken away. I mean, when I read that, I said, whoa, you don't play with God. You don't mess around with God. Some of us that's messing around with, uh, we've made covenants either to our husband and wives, uh, and uh, you know, and we're messing around with covenants. Don't play around with covenants, right? When you make a pledge to God, don't, I mean, stick to that pledge. Because Ananias and Sapphira. But just think of all of that and the mercy that God extended towards Nebuchadnezzar. He could have been snuffed out just like that. Fire could have come down and consumed him. We've seen that. But no, God spared his life and he humbly went back on the throne. I don't think he was too proud anymore. He was a humble king for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, his son did not take note. That's another message. But as we look at this, and the text tells us that the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist, even now many Antichrists have risen, and from which we know that it is the last hour. Since that time, the time when this was said, if you go through history, church history, you see many great individuals came up trying to take over the world. I am the great. I am the one that's going to... And every single one of them, they lay dead. Nobody is alive. Mohammed, he's not around. I mean, come on. He can't, I mean, every single one laid in the dust. And so when we think of it, there is an unauthorized breaking that is taking place in our world right now. Every single one of us, Satan is manipulating us and his aim is to take over our mind. His aim is to infiltrate infiltrate your mind, infiltrate your family, infiltrate your church, infiltrate your society, infiltrate countries, taking over. He is a, the major hijacker. He picks locks and he enters in where he's not invited. But let me tell you something. If we do not have a good security system, 
to sound the alarm, he will always have access. And this is where our security must be in Jesus Christ. We have no choice. All these men, Nebuchadnezzar and all of these guys that was manipulated, even Hezekiah that was manipulated by Satan, they had let down their guard. They failed to turn on their security system at night. Come on. If God created a security system for us, and that is Jesus Christ, why don't we use him? Why don't we use it? And so we have all of these breakings that's taken place right across Vegas, right across the world, because we fail to activate the system. And that is Jesus Christ. This is why I'm telling you, I believe so much in the power of prayer. Every time I'm going on the road, I always bow my head or even, even at home pray, Lord, please protect me as I go on the road. I remember back then I was, I think I was 20 years old and I'm driving my pride and joy, driving my Nissan Stanza, 1982, blue, fully loaded, sunroof, everything. I love that car. I love that car. I mean, that car was real. It had like, you know, uh, it, it was a four-cylinder, but it had eight sparks plugs, right? And this, this, this car was smooth. When that thing got on the road, I want you to understand, smooth running. And I'm driving this car now. This was, I wasn't married yet, but that was my wife, <laughs> that car, right? And I'm driving this car in a parking lot, and all of a sudden, a, a truck, a, a van, one of these uh, club vans comes out of nowhere and smacks me in the driver's side, right at the door. And all I, in reaction, I saw the truck, I saw the impact, my window was half down, little down, and I saw the side mirror just snapped like that. And I saw the glass come out of it, and slow motion, I could see it just turning, turning, right past my face, just like glass passing my face, and I had my friend Charles sitting in the passenger seat. And this thing is headed to Charles. And all of a sudden, the only thing I could tell you, there is some invisible shield. Amen. This thing just hit it just like that, and it fell right down between my leg. And I was, I mean, I was transfixed, I was stuck, I was saying, Lord, I, what happened? And immediately, I remembered that I prayed that morning. And I said, Lord, thank you. Whatever this accident, everything is going to work out. We, I, I had to crawl out on the passenger side and everything and do all the insurance work. But in my reflection, I believed an angel faster than Superman showed up, 
blocked that mirror, that it didn't hurt my friend. And right there, we, we got out of it. I'm telling you, we serve a God that is powerful and that is able. And we gotta understand this is what it's all about. In spite of what this world is dishing us right now, Satan trying to hijack us, hijack our mind, whatever, the Lord is telling us we have a security system. And that security system is him, Jesus Christ. And we got to learn the whole power of prayer. And so we have many antichrists, as it says. In the book of verse, 1 John chapter 4, and we're looking at verse 1 to 4. 1 John 4, 1 to 4. 1 John 4, 1 to 4. So we know, first point, we do not play around or converse with the devil or anything of this nature. We understand that the devil will be sending out these false Christs and they will be coming out in that sense and this is a sign that we know that we're in the last hour, I just says. It says in verse four, verse um, one, beloved, do not believe every spirit but try the spirits to see if they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, is, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist you have heard that is coming. Even now is already in the world. Ye are of God's little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's the word of God. We could, we could just say amen and leave. What we got to understand, people, and this is why I believe, I, I want to teach this, I wanna, because I think that our people, we do not really realize the true power of God. We don't realize it. And all of these things that I've been talking in this week, all of these things you have been hearing over that we have been talking this whole month, uh, some of us may be afraid and all of this, but I want to give you the assurance that God, don't worry, he's already set it up for you. He's like that teacher. You know, he gives out the, the, the book and all of that and the lessons. But, you know, sometimes if you look in the back of the book, you see the answer key in the back, right? He's provided you. He's given you the answer for you to practice and learn, right? We have all of this, and the keys is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so everyone, please, we have to understand all of these things are coming at us right now. And I'm going to, tomorrow, um, I'm going to be showing you something 
but I'll tell you this story. In, I remember when I was um, in um, school, we were, in, we're doing this, um, it was a marketing class, and they had a chapter in the, my marketing book, and it was called Subliminal Advertising. I've never heard of subliminal advertising in my life. Never. You know, that was back then, late 80s. And, I'm, and I was saying, you know, what is this? So I was intrigued. I started reading the chapter and so forth. And they went back and they were showing uh, this, uh, they, they were giving us this article that was written in a study in 1957 where there was this theater in New Jersey where they, they tested this, the people in the theater for about one week. And what they did, they took some frames out of the film that they were showing, and what they put replaced it with some, a frame that said, eat, uh, buy butter-covered popcorn and drink Coke. That was just the message. And they did this for a week. And everyone spellbound, they were watching the film and everything, no one ever saw that. Consciously, they never saw the, this frame. But immediately, somehow, everyone had an urge to head to buy butter-covered popcorn and drink Coke. And they said that the sales skyrocketed 57% for that week. I mean, they were just selling, 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 selling. They didn't know what was happening. And the, the people were selling it. They didn't know. And they were just, just buying, buying, buying. People were just going and buying up, buying up. And they took the frame out the next week and went back to normal and show this, the sales went down and dropped. And they said, wow, can you imagine? Way back in 1957, that was back then with their, that, you know, primitive machinery. Subliminal messages. Challenges after challenges have been made in different industries and it has failed and they have always ruled inconclusive that subliminal advertising, they do not know if it is effective. And they have all this evidence stockpiled. Right now, I'm telling you, 1957, that was before my time. But think right now, and it even scares me to say this, we're in 2013. 2013. You, we have it everywhere. You have it on your billboards. You have it on your commercials. You have it in your movies. Come on. There was, I was watching this clip today, just, you know, in preparation, and I said, I don't want to inundate you with all of this Hollywood stuff, you know. But I was watching this clip of this, this chef, you know, he was preparing food and it's this chef competition. Huh? I'm not sure what it is, so I, I don't want to, so they, and what happened 
there was this young man watching it, and he said, whoa, did you see that? And nobody said no. So he was recording it, so he went back on his DVR, and he slowed down the frame. And what it showed, there was a McDonald's symbol in the whole thing that says, um, I'm, I'm loving it, McDonald's. That's what it basically said. And he now, if you would search this up on YouTube, you will see it. He started sending this out on YouTube, and I mean, millions hit hitting him, checking it out, to the point that they asked McDonald's, Did, were you aware of this? They said, no, we, you know, that was just a mistake, you know, it just got in there. I mean, it's in the whole thing, and it was right there, and he highlighted it, and, but somehow his conscious mind picked it up. He said, no, 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 there's something, and he searched back, and he found it. What I'm saying, what are we not finding? I'm saying all of this to say is that we are inundated and exposed to so many things in the world today. We have to be tuned in. We have to be tuned in. Because whatever hits you on a subconscious level, your mind, it pulls it all in. And somehow you may be thinking, why am I feeling to buy popcorn? Have you ever walked into a store, you know, Macy's or Walmart, and you just say, man, I just came to buy this one item, but you're leaving with your cart full. You know, our Christmas season is the best one. I mean, everyone is, you see all these Santa Claus walking around and everything, and all of a sudden you just feel, you know, hey, you know, you may just have rubbing two quarters in your pocket, but somehow you want to buy with money that you don't have. The whole system, everyone. And so I'm encouraging us, we need to stay tuned. Our final text is the text that I introduced, which is our main text. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. No, let me back up again. I'm jumping ahead of me. I'm saying it from memory, but let me... Read it. Right? Put on the whole armor of God so that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world's rulers of the dark of this dark age against spiritual wickedness in high places verse 13 therefore take to you the whole armor of god that he may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand all of these things that we are doing everyone is for us to stand. If you notice, stand, stand, stand is all over this. We are doing all of these to stand. And the only way we could stand is standing in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that, to help us to stand. Therefore, stand, therefore, having, having your loins girded with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet sod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, take the shield of faith with which you shall be able to withstand the quench of all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayers and supplication in the spirit and watching to this very thing with all perseverance and supplication of all saints. We have to understand God has given us the solution. We could woo you, tell you all about these things that's happening out there and everything and not give you the solution, but the solution is found in Jesus Christ. We're preaching about reform this week. And we can only, the only way that we could experience true reform is if we experience true revival. You cannot be reformed if you are not revived. If we are not revived, there is no reformation. And so the whole process, part of the whole process in order for this to happen, we need to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the only way we'll be able to stand. And this feeds into all the theology. It tells us how you keep the Sabbath. It's based on the relationship with Christ. The way you treat one another, it's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Faithfulness to your husband and wife is the way you treat the Lord. It comes back to that relationship. And I want to encourage us as we close out tonight. God is calling us to be a holy people. A people that is peculiar and that is called out. There is going to be a time when we will, you will not have the opportunity to sit here for an hour and hear the word of God preached. You'll be on the run. All of us will be on the run. I remember... Back in 1980, 1998, a major ice storm hit the region of the Northeast. The power went out. The entire Northeast was crippled. Houses lacked heat. Very few places we could go to shop to get water. If the, the entire economy was down. Even um, trucks to bring supplies blocked. They were turned over on the road and the 401 and all. All the major access to the island of Montreal, island of Montreal, was cut off. In fact, that's why we moved off island. We wanted to be on the mainland, right, in a place called Chaudaguay. And so the interesting thing is, in my reflection, I think back to see how the people reacted. Every single one. You know what happened? The crisis brought us together. The church, we all pulled together. Uh, we may not have had access to our Bibles or anything because we had to run. We had to get out of our houses. I mean, pipes bursting in houses, roofs co roof collapsing, all of these things. And so we, I remember we, uh, there were about 30 of us gathered together in this apartment building. 
And there was just one apartment. Somehow, mysteriously, that apartment had heat. And so we did everything in this apartment. We took turns, you know, um, taking showers, you know, for the, the kids. And, and we had worship in this place. And, and I, every, that experience... It, brought, it, it, it just brought me to the point, I said, you know, I think this is the way it's going to be in the last days. I think it's going to be like that. A crisis. Whenever there's a crisis, the people come together. I wasn't here on September 11th, 2001, but I could guarantee you when that occurred way back, way over there, right, in New York, and what happened in Washington, I bet you when you came to church, church was packed. Tell me I'm lying. I bet you every, I mean, Tom, Dick, and Harry, member, none, whatever, they showed up in church like a New Year's Day. They showed up in church, right? And this is what happens. Sometimes it takes a crisis to pull us together for us to realize. The Bible is telling us right now, put your armor on. Put on the whole armor and keep it on. Sleep with it on. You can't afford to take it off and sleep in your regular clothes. This is the last days. We got to sleep with our arm, armor on or a helmet. We have to have the whole thing cladded on with our sword in hand, ready to fight. And it is a fight of faith. How many of us are ready to fight? Are we really ready to fight? Are we ready to fight? If truly you are ready to fight, and we are ready to fight. I'm asking you, those of us that's ready to fight and to surrender and to say, hey, listen, I may not know how to, but I want to know. I want to be ready. I'm asking you to join me at the front. If this is your desire, we're going to close out and I'm asking you to just join me. Let's press together. You know, sometimes, I have to tell you as a minister, sometimes I feel and I'm, that's just the human side of me, sometimes I feel that there's this thought, why bother? These people, they don't mean it. You know, they're just going to go back to their sinful life. I mean, why bother? But I realize, I realize that God is doing something that we may never even And he is preparing us for that time, that time that is coming up in this world. And 
as I said a few days ago, Noah, it was a tough thing for this man to be preaching for 120 years. Can you imagine the 119th, 19th year? He probably was discouraged. He said, man, I, may, I might as well just throw in the towel. I have this whole ark built up, almost built and everything. We have never seen rain. And we have been preaching this for all these years. We have been preaching that the Lord is coming back since the inception of this church, way back for about 150 years right now. That's what we have been preaching, right? And the Lord, where is he? I remember the story my grandmother told me of this man that was riding his donkey. And he was an unbeliever. Didn't believe in God. Had not, didn't want to hear nothing about God. And this man, he says, listen, if God was riding a donkey from the time that he heard that he was coming he would have been here already. And he said, man, curse all your religion and all of his foolishness. And he got on his donkey and he went to town. When he was coming back from town, he rested under a tree. And the story from eyewitnesses said they saw a soul lightning bolt came down and struck the tree where the donkey and the man was resting under it. Killed the man immediately. The Lord came for him that very day. And what we got to understand, we don't know. Life is uncertain. It's uncertain. All that we know is that we have today and we have to live our life today. This is why I want to make sure my slate is clean. If I have done you wrong, if I've done you wrong, if I've done you wrong, please forgive me confess do not let the sun set on your wrath make the way clear let nothing between your soul and your savior and so as we come tonight to pray we join the circle sorry um we want to pray for god's anointing upon us and that we will be standing on that day not on our own but in the strength and the power let us bow our heads. Father, it's such a joy to come before your throne. Lord, we know you have called us, Lord, out of this world of confusion. You have called us out of darkness, Lord, into your marvelous light. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will lead us, Lord, will help us to know, Father, that there are great things in store for us and that you have made a way of escape. This world as we know it is about to be destroyed. And men are confused. We don't even know where to run or what to do, Lord. But you have promised, Lord, in this time, in our time of need, that our bread and water shall be sure. You have promised us, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. The same way, Father, that you are able to be with Elijah in the mountain and feeding him, Lord, in the same way you would feed us, Lord. You will send your ravens, Lord, to feed us. The same way you rain down manna from heaven, Lord, to feed those Israelites traveling through the, the, the un, uncertain areas, Lord. In the same way, Father, that you'll protect us. 
I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will tarry with us. I pray that you will help each and every one of us, Lord, to make a decisive decision, Lord, to stand for you. And Lord, that we will surrender our lives to you, Father, that if there's anything that we know that we are doing wrong, any um, living alternatively in any way, Father, that we will surrender everything to you, Father, and just allow you to live out your life in us. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. I even pray, Father, for those listening online, you know their condition as well. As they are surrendering, I pray, Father, that you will just watch over them, that you will empower them. As we go through the rest of this week, Father, there is uh, some very tough things that we need to uh, talk about here, pray about. Uh, and I pray, Father, that you will just be with this church, Lord, that they, we will be able to accept your truth, Lord, as it is preached in your word. Lord, take your people once again, Lord. Bless your people. Restore your people once again, Lord. And that indeed, Lord, we will be among those, Lord, standing on the sea of glass with the Lamb. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord, everyone. Is God good? All the time. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Blessing, sister. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Blessing, 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 that we were talking about. You heard um, Elder Johnson mention it. I have quoted from it. Uh, it is a book that is entitled A Trip in the Soup into Supernatural. Now, our brother, what is your name again, please? Brother Shepmers. Shipman, Shipman, Brother Shipman. Now, Brother Shipman, uh, he went to the um, Book and Bible House, the ABC, and he was checking for the books. And uh, uh, they were all sold out, right? Uh, but if anyone wants to get a copy of this book, um, we're asking, you know, just, uh, we're going to have a, a list on the outside. Um, just write up, sign your name and so forth, or write your name and your number, and we will try to um, get um, uh, some for you. We may have to sh get it from the, um, one of the bigger ABCs, uh, but it's a good read for us to understand what is happening right now in our world. Amen? So we don't want to hold you back any longer, but we invite you to stand. Uh, remember um, to drop a liberal offering as you leave. <laughs>